Well, today I'm thankful for a lot of things, but uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 and kind of doing a, a Lord's Supper and thinking about a little bit about Thanksgiving, and I want you to think about that. And since we're, since we're talking about a meal that occurred almost 2,000 years ago, we're talking about that today, I thought we should talk about the meal that's going to happen this Thursday. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you ready? I've got Thanksgiving stats for you, current ones. 40 million whole turkeys are eaten in the U.S. at Thanksgiving. Not those little chicken breasts, I mean those turkey breasts that you buy. I'm talking the big boys, all right? Yeah, 40 million. It represents a full 50% of all the whole turkeys sold in the U.S. for the year. And by the way, uh, you know, there was an article about the turkeys being higher in trouble. You should have gone to Albertsons with me and used the digital download. 57 cents a pound, all right? That's pretty good. That's an inflation buster. It's probably too late now. Sorry to tell you guys that. Those of you that wait, don't get, okay, you know. And then we have some that are, it's got to be butterball or nothing. Well, you pay all your money for that, all right? Here's another one. $96 million spent on something at Thanksgiving each year. You ready for this? On stuffing. Uh, I can't understand how that could be. Statistics also indicate that uh, and, and we discovered when I gave the quiz last week that when I said rolls and biscuits, it was, that was a bad question because everybody raised their hand for rolls. 32.2 million dinner rolls. Hmm. Crazy. And then 40% of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup sales occur right around Thanksgiving. Do you know why that would be? Why? Yeah. Not that sweet potato casserole that I don't like. Green bean casserole. Almost 40% of the Campbell's cream of mushroom soup is dedicated to green bean casserole. I'm almost done. Cranberries. I know we're not New England, but still, some of, and by the way, don't buy the can, please. Don't buy the can. It's not that hard to just put some cranberries in there, some sugar, a little orange, and you know, and you're done. Okay? 80 million pounds of cranberries are purchased at Thanksgiving representing 20% of all cranberries sold in the United States throughout the year. And then we get to the pie. We took a vote last week. 35% of Americans prefer pumpkin pie as their favorite for finishing off a Thanksgiving meal. And some of y'all raised, a lot of you raised your hands for that. But I'll give you the rest of the stats now. 16% pecan pie, and I think it's a little higher in Hoffmantown because I saw more hands go up. 11% apple pie, that's mine. 10% sweet potato pie, bunch of sinners. 6% chocolate pie. Right? Right? I saw the ooze going, right? Change the tradition up. Why not? Come on. Well, Grandma didn't do it that way. Well, that's okay. You could do it that way. And 4% cherry pie. Okay, now I'm hungry. Anybody hungry in here? I hope your Sunday school class got, has donuts or something going on today. Okay, but now that we have that out of the way, let's focus on the reason for Thanksgiving. Believe it or not, even though you're hungry now, it's not for the food. It's to give thanks. Thanksgiving. Do you see what I did there? It's not that hard, is it? Thanksgiving. It is to give thanks, and for the Christian, it is to give thanks to God for all that he has done. Not what I've done, not what you've done, not what's happened this year or this day. It's to give thanks to God for what he has done. And so let's look back now at the ancient meal, Luke 22, verses 7 
through 23. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us so we can eat it. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher, capital T, ask you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnace room upstairs. Make the preparations there. It almost sounds like a little spy movie, doesn't it? You've got to go here and down this alley and you'll find this guy, water jug, all that. But let's continue. Verse 13. So they went. That's an important word. They obeyed. They went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourself. For I tell you, he's reminding them again, he's saying it again, I, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then the famous verses we know, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You remember that phrase? Yeah. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. And then something happens. The little curveball, look at it. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, exclamation point. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And I relate so well with the apostles. Maybe you do. Look at the last verse, verse 23. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do this thing. Let's pray. God, we do come today with thankful hearts. I pray that you will focus us even more on our thankfulness and that we will be reminded of the simple good news, the gospel, that you are the sacrifice for a world of sin. And that includes us. Please touch our hearts today, Lord. Please save someone today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we remember and give thanks to God through the Lord's Supper. Maybe you haven't thought of that. Part of the remembrance is thanks, thanksgiving. So, we've got a few points today. Let's start with number one there in your, uh, in your compass, your sermon notes. There is great purpose That's what I want you to see. There is great purpose in the Lord's Supper. Three things. First one's kind of long. The first one is this. I believe the Lord's Supper shows how Jesus himself fulfilled the great Passover feast. That's what the first verses we were talking about. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover meal. Okay? It's it's the same thing there. And look. uh, And we know historically... 
that the Passover, let me just jog your memory, it, it refers to a time when what? When God delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. Do you remember that? And that's what the Passover was about. See, as God prepared to take the firstborn, those who believed God, what were they instructed to do? They were to kill a pure lamb, sprinkle its blood over the doorposts of their homes, and the blood of the innocent lamb would then serve as a sign that the coming judgment, the taking of the firstborn, do you remember that? They would be passed over. Thus the term Passover. How about that? Yeah. And what a picture or a sign it is that even the coming judgment that would come to the world is carried out by the ultimate sacrificial lamb, Jesus. But they remembered that when God saw the blood on the doorposts, he would pass by or pass over. So that's historically. Symbolically, though, I think we see the Passover pictured in the coming of Jesus Christ as a Savior. You see, Jesus clearly was the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb. You agree with me? In the great first chapter of John, we get to verse 29, and we, we see this John the baptizer. You remember him? Listen to John 1, 29. Very clear. The next day John, that's John the baptizer, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here it is, quote, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away, are you ready? The sins of the world. Wow. Jesus hadn't, hadn't got going yet with his ministry, hadn't picked the 12, all the miracles hadn't happened, and there it is. This, is. this is the guy. He is the Lamb of God. In addition to the Lamb, in addition to the unleavened bread, which they had to prepare back in the Egypt days, you'll remember that, the Jewish Passover feast was celebrated by using four, let's just go over it real quickly, four food and drink items. I want you to think about this meal. This was the meal they were having that led to the first Lord's Supper. Four things. First of all, there's a bowl of salt, salt water. Do you remember what that was for? It was conspicuously placed on the table to remind the family of the tears that were shed by their forefathers when they endured 430 years of bondage and slavery. Secondly, by the way, have any of you ever participated in that kind of meal? It's not very appetizing. I don't know who came up with that. Well, God did, you know. Because here's number two. There's kind of like a salad. You like salad. But this is a, a bitter salad-like plate that was to also remind them of something. Their forefathers, the bitter experiences that they had with slavery. Number three, there was a paste-like mixture of fruit with cinnamon sticks. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? But it was also a remembrance what did it remind them of? Their forefathers who toiled and toiled. Think about it. Of making bricks from clay and straw for the Egyptian cities and buildings. Who do you think built all that stuff? The slaves did. Israelites. And then fourth, there were four cups of wine that was used to remind them of God's four promises in Exodus. We don't have time to look at that, but you can look at the four promises in the book of Exodus to deliver their forefathers from Egyptian slavery. So the Lord's Supper really shows us, there's purpose to it, it shows us how Jesus fulfills the great Passover feast.
We know about it historically, but symbolically, hey, we've got the rest of the story, do we not? We have that. Grab your Bible real quick. Just hold it. You got the whole complete revelation of God here on earth. That's important to note. There's not another book out there. There's not another document out there. This is it. Full, complete revelation of God, the Bible, and we have it. And the Bible clearly speaks, and we get in on it because we're New Testament Christians, aren't we? We know that Jesus came, that he is the Messiah. We know that he lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day and conquered sin and death and all that stuff. David talked about that when he was talking about his daughter this morning. Yes, think about that. There's more, though. There's more purpose. Secondly, the Lord's uh, Supper stresses the great need to remember the Lord's death. I think it's important. It's not to remember the miracles. It's not to remember all the significant teachings. It is to remember the Lord's death. Scripture is clear. We just read that. It says that in other Gospels, too. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper helps us to keep our minds upon Jesus, and at the same time, it demonstrates that our minds are upon him. And notice we're to remember. Look, look at the context. I, I want you to go back to the room and look what they were doing and think about what was getting ready to come. We're to remember no matter what is happening. I want you to note what Jesus was facing. And we saw that curveball, didn't we? Even one of his own disciples, one of the twelve, had just cut a betrayal deal. And this guy, Judas, was only waiting, was only waiting for the opportunity to betray. Did that stop Jesus from observing the Passover meal? And instituting our Lord's Supper? No, it did not. He was determined to observe it. The Lord's Supper also stresses the need for preparation. In Luke, that we just read, but also in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, there's a word that's listed over and over. I try to emphasize a little bit. It's the word prepared. Despite danger, Jesus kept the Passover and made personal preparations for it. And I want you to think about those lessons that we can learn today. There's not just great purpose, there's also great significance in the Lord's Supper. Verses 15 through 18 show us, first of all, the Lord's Supper is tied to Jesus' death. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. You see that? And then 16 and 18, you'll see, hey, I'm not going to do this again until. I'm not going to partake in this until. It's showing us how it's tied to Jesus' death. And secondly, it's, it's a picture of this great supper, this glorious promise. Have you thought about the promise that's there? Jesus wasn't just giving them a news item. It's a promise. It's, it's his actual words that he would not eat and drink it again until all things were fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Someday, are you ready for this? Someday we will sit down with Jesus Christ and partake with him. Have you thought about that? It's not just talking to those guys. It's to us, followers of Christ. That's amazing. 
So we're going to have a group prayer. I think you have plenty to be thankful for right now. Let me encourage you to join with others. If someone is sitting there by themselves, cordially ask them if they would like to pray with your group so no one is left out unless you want to be left out. But let's spend a few moments praying, could we? And it's a prayer of thanksgiving, but I don't want you to, to thank God for your dog, okay? Or, or, or even just your family, you know, and some of all the things we do at our Thanksgiving meal. But can we, th let's thank God for the example of Jesus, the preparations that he made in spite of his impending crucifixion, the significance of what he did, and especially let's just focus our prayer time on thanking Jesus that he became the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God for us. All right? So huddle up, if you will, in twos and threes and fours, however you want to do it, and we'll give you just a few minutes just to spend some time praying with other folks. Let us pray.
Lord, today we come with hearts full of thanksgiving. And specifically now and in this moment, we are thankful for your sacrifice. For you ultimately praying to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. We're thankful that you are the spotless, perfect, sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We remember today and we're thankful for your sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. In addition, there's something else in the supper. There's great meaning in the Lord's Supper. Verses 19 and 20. These are the two famous verses in the passage. We know them. We'll quote them here at the end when we partake of the elements. But I want you to notice there's two elements. There's there's the bread, so there's meaning in the bread. Jesus took the bread, says he broke it. It symbolized what? His broken body. Well, that hadn't happened yet, but it was going to happen, right? His body was broken. What does that mean? His body was sacrificed. Notice that he said something, though. Did you catch it? Verse 19. Let me read it again. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. I want us not to forget that he said his body was given to us on our behalf. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wound. There's meaning in the bread. Secondly, there's also meaning in the cup. Jesus identified the cup as his blood. It was interesting. He called it his blood of the new covenant. This meant that his blood established, his shed blood established a new covenant with God. And it's his blood, his shed blood, that allows a new relationship between God and us. I have people from time to time say, you Baptists, you're you're too bloody. You talk about the blood, you sing about the blood. It's important, is it not? It's what Scripture says. It was and it is his blood. It is a new covenant. Those are his words. And we acknowledge those today as we remember and take part in the Lord's Supper. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. You may want to ponder that this week. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, uh, are you ready, of his grace. Amen? Isn't that great? It's not anything that we have done. It's what he has done. Well, finally, let's look at the fact that there are also, uh, lastly, some great appeals. Best word I could come up with. (laughs) Appeals in the Lord's Supper. Verses 21 through 23. The curveball come, and we kind of read through it, and we know all that. But do we really think about it? Let's think about uh, three things today. Number one, here Jesus uses the supper to appeal to a sinner. This sinner had a name. Do you remember his name? His name was Judas. He had deserted Jesus, if you will. He, he thought his sin was hidden, but Jesus knew. He drops the bombshell right there. Look, it's right in the midst, uh, right after the, they're doing, he's instituted the first Lord's Supper, and Jesus says this. That's significant to me, that he was speaking to a sinner, because guess what? I am a sinner saved by God. 
Hmm. Secondly, Jesus used the supper to warn the sinner. If you'll look there in those verses, you'll see he actually goes ahead and uses the word woe, W-O-E. He uses that word. What does that mean? Woe means wrath and sorrows coming, anger, pity, all these things. That is a heart-rending pronouncement of judgment when you see woe. And Jesus warns the sinner. Hmm. And, it, and notice this warning. It came before the garden that was coming up and the betrayal, the actual act of it. Remember Jesus, uh, Judas went and kissed Jesus on the cheek and the mob came and all that. This is before that happens that night. It's before the betrayal was completed. You see, I believe with all my heart that God loves us. Do you believe that? That he warns us, but he never forces obedience. I want to tell you today, some of you here today, God has been warning you and warning you and warning you. Turn from your life and turn to me. It's called repentance. Come to me and I will save you. I give you the faith even to turn and come to me. You see, we're, we're no different than Judas. Until God saves us, our sin betrays us and betrays a relationship with Jesus. But God doesn't force it on you. We're not little robots, okay? Listen to Acts 3.19. Listen to this. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So not, not only is this appeal goes to a sinner, it's a, he's identified, but also there's a warning. And then notice that Jesus used the supper also to stir hearts. If you look at 23, they begin to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do this thing. I've studied that verse I think their hearts were stirred. I don't think the correct interpretation necessarily is that they were fighting. We, they were blaming like, you, it's you. Man, I've been watching you, it's you. I don't, I don't think so. They were, their hearts were stirred. They really were wondering who in the world could do something like this to Jesus. They looked at themselves. And I would say we are warned today. Peter was there, wasn't he? And many years later, as an older man, he wrote the book of First Peter. And in First Peter 5, 8, he says this, and there's exclamation points. It, it, he's very adamant. Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. It's serious. Hearts should always be stirred when we thankfully remember and observe the Lord's Supper. So let's pray one more time individually. You don't have to move or walk or do anything. Just right there, you and the Lord, would you briefly pray a prayer of examination? We know from Scripture that, um, first of all, we saw sinner, the sinner is warned. We know that the Lord's Supper is for believers, for Christians, we call ourselves, for followers of Christ. The Lord's Supper is not just for anyone. It's for believers. It is His table. 
And so thus, parents, sometimes we have to talk with our children. Maybe you're a guest today and you're not sure if you're a believer. It, it, it's not for, for you because you see this appeal to the sinner and the warning to the sinner. But maybe God would stir your heart. And I would ask you, where's your heart today? Have you been saved by God? We also know from Scripture, it, for believers who are going to partake, it's a time, there should be a time of examination where we take a look at our lives. And the Lord is faithful to do this. Lord, reveal to me what I need to confess. He'll do it right here and now. And we need to confess, so we're ready. So let's spend a few moments just in prayer. It's a prayer of examination, you and the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today with a thankful prayer, prayer of examination, that you would show us our sin that we need to confess, that you would refresh and renew our relationship with you. Lord, we know that sin blocks that relationship, gets in the way, so we pray and we confess today and we acknowledge you are the great forgiver that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're now to the time in the service where we're getting ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. So it, would you raise your hand if you did not get um, one of the elements? We'd like to get them to you. Always want to encourage you when it's Lord's Supper to look for them out there, but okay, we have some around. So if you guys would take care of that, we want everyone who's, every believer who's examined themselves to be prepared for that. Thank you for doing that. So let's focus in a little bit more as that's happening. Keep your hand up. We'll get it to you. As we prepare to partake today, I want you to notice something else in this passage. Did you notice in verse 19 and 20 that Jesus gave what? Thanks. Did you catch it? He gave thanks. And then again, he gave thanks. I find that interesting History, uh, maybe you know your history. History has, it's not a bad word, so don't get on me. History is referred to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist. Have you ever heard of that word, Eucharist? It's simply a term that's based on a Greek word which means giving thanks. Giving thanks. 
You see, today we are thankful because of the good news of salvation. We're thankful today because of the forgiveness of sin. That's what the Lord's Supper symbolizes. And I want to remind you of something, especially for this Thursday that's coming up. Some of you are like, what, it's this week? What? Oh, no, you're gripping now because you're not ready, okay? Listen, we spend so much time in the hustle and bustle, don't we? And I know someone's coming over the house, and it's got to be perfect. Performance anxiety, let it go. We must be thankful. What I want to say to you today, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, is Thanksgiving is not a once-a-year event. It's not. It's to be the lifestyle for the Christian. And that is winsome to our world. How can you be thankful? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. So I want to encourage you, even in the midst, even if, it's a, even if something comes out burnt, stop for a minute and be thankful. For what? Remembering what Jesus has done for us, the Lord's Supper. So we come today. It's an act of pure thanksgiving. This is a, a, a time to give thanks for the greatest gift and sacrifice ever made. The great, I, I believe that. The greatest sacrifice ever made. The life and death of Jesus. So we look at verse 19, Luke 22. Let me read it again. And he took bread... He gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, today we do remember. We remember the sacrifice. We remember you willingly giving up your body for our sin. We think about the beating, the punches, the whipping, the flesh being yanked out. We think about the spikes going into you. We think about the agony of gravity hanging on the cross as you did. Think about even the insults the spitting that was done upon your body, the crown of thorns, all those things, the rod being struck. Lord, so many things you sacrificed with your body. We remember today in Jesus' name. Your name we pray, amen. Now let's look at verse 20. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after service, after supper, excuse me, and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. And it is shed for you. And we remember today. Lord, today we remember your shed blood. Lord, we, we recall that multiple times in Scripture it says the remission of sin, the forgiveness of sin is not available without the shedding of your blood. And so we Thank you and we remember that you went all the way, that you were crucified, that you shed your blood on our behalf. 
And God, we pray earnestly for those who have not realized this or maybe don't have a relationship yet with you, that they would understand the significance of it. We remember, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I think it's interesting to note the body and the blood. You know, I could die for you. Are you aware of that? Please don't come ask me after the service to do that. You know what it would do for you? Nothing. You know what it would do for me? I'd be dead. <laughs> not to be, you know, not to come back on the third day. It's significant what Jesus did. And I want to ask you a very important question. I'm going to do a response time a little different this morning. I want to simply ask you, have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life? There's so many of us, there's so many people that we run into contact with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that has guilt or wondering, confusion. And it's simply this question, have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life? And I would tell you, the Bible's clear, you can experience that. Secondly, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And my question would be, why not? We just pictured what Jesus has done for us. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners. It has nothing to do with joining a certain church or being part of a certain family or reading a certain translation of the Bible. We could go on and on and on. It has to do with relationship. Do you have that relationship? Has he forgiven you? Has he become your Lord, your boss, your master, your controller? Why not? For those of you who would say, yes, yes, and I saw some heads out there nodding and smiling. That's awesome to know that we're redeemed and forgiven. Amen? Isn't that awesome? But if yes, may this Thanksgiving be a time of true Thanksgiving. More than just family, more than just turkey, more than just getting together, but thankful for our Savior really want us to think about that today. And I, I, I want to let you know that after the service, I will be right out there. I would love to talk with you. There's other folks that would love to talk with you to be out there. There may be someone you know you came with today. Maybe you're watching online. You can send us an email. Call in. We'll love to visit with you about how we can have this relationship. The Lord's Supper is the greatest picture I know of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. Aren't you glad he provided a way for forgiveness of sin and relationship? Aren't you Christian? And the promise of eternal life. And listen, it's not just the... This could be another sermon. Be careful, Lamar. Got to land the plane. That's what they say, right? Land the plane. Don't, don't keep circling. But... It, Sometimes I get frustrated, this promise of eternal life, just that, hey, something's going to happen after I die. I don't want to just die and everyone forget me. No, it's eternal life in heaven with Jesus, the one who shed the blood and had the broken body. Amen? It's not that I can go on. They don't need Lamar to go on, but that we get to go on with God. 
And the Bible's clear, if you're still not sure, that there's another option, and it's hell. And listen, don't worry about fire and brimstone and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The worst way we can describe hell is its eternal absence from God and everything good. Picture that. Take Albuquerque times infinity. (laughs) It's that bad, right? So let's remember that. Yes, it's a promise of eternal life, but it's with God. Can you, can you, I can't wait to sing these songs we sing to God. Well, praise the Lord. We'd love to talk with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for partaking. Thank you for examining yourself. Thank you for focusing in. It's good to give thanks. Amen? Jesus did when he instituted the Lord's Supper. I'm landing the plane. I'm done.